Let us open our Bibles to 1 Chronicles chapter 29. I would like to do something a little different, and that is to read this whole chapter to you. Some of you, I hope most or all of you, read 1 Chronicles 17 and 1 Chronicles 22, or 22, last evening. The reason we read those two chapters was to see the great lover of God in the Bible, who was David. And I'd like to read one more chapter about him to you. 1 Chronicles 29 is about David as well. David is very, very old at this point. This is after he has already been diagnosed as not being able to keep any body heat and was provided Abishag for that body heat. This is after Bathsheba came in to ask him to remember the promise to her that her son Solomon would be king. And this David is going to describe his love of God by the amount he gave and the efforts he put into building the house of God. Exceeding magnifical is in chapter 22. Chapter 17 is where David finished off defeating all the enemies of God from the Euphrates River to the Nile River. And he sat in his house and he could have retired. But he didn't want to retire because he said it's not fair that God's being worshipped in a tent and I'm dwelling in a sealed C-E-I-L-E-D. That means a house with a ceiling, a fixed ceiling. It's not fair. I want to build him a house. Those chapters are about David's love for God. Let me read to you the 29th. About David's zeal for the house of God. Furthermore, David the king said unto all the congregation, Solomon my son, whom alone God hath chosen is yet young and tender, and the work is great. For the palace is not for man, but for the Lord God. Now I have prepared with all my might for the house of my God, the gold for things to be made of gold, and the silver for things of silver, and the brass for things of brass, the iron for things of iron, And wood for things of wood, onyx stones, and stones to be set, glistering stones, and of divers colors, and all manner of precious stones, and marble stones in abundance. Moreover, because I have set my affection to the house of my God, I have of mine own proper good, of gold and silver, which I have given to the house of my God over and above, All that I have prepared for the holy house, even three thousand talents of gold, of the gold of Ophir, and seven thousand talents of refined silver, to overlay the walls of the houses withal, the gold for things of gold, and the silver for things of silver, and for all manner of work to be made by the hands of artificers. And who then is willing to consecrate his service this day, Unto the Lord. Then the chief of the fathers and princes of the tribes of Israel and the captains of thousands and of hundreds with the rulers of the king's work offered willingly and gave for the service of the house of God of gold five thousand talents and ten thousand drams and of silver ten thousand talents and of brass eighteen thousand talents 
and one hundred thousand talents of iron. And they with whom precious stones were found gave them to the treasure of the house of the Lord by the hand of Jehiel the Gershonite. Then the people rejoiced for that they offered willingly, because with perfect heart they offered willingly to the Lord. And David the king also rejoiced with great joy. Wherefore David blessed the Lord before all the congregation. And David said, Blessed be thou, Lord God of Israel our Father, forever and ever. Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heaven and in the earth is thine. Thine is the kingdom, O Lord, and thou art exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come of thee, and thou reignest over all. And in thine hand is power and might, and in thine hand it is to make great and to give strength unto all. Now therefore, our God, we thank thee and praise thy glorious name. But who am I? And what is my people that we should be able to offer so willingly after this sort? For all things come of thee, and of thine own have we given thee. For we are strangers before thee, and sojourners, as were all our fathers. Our days on the earth are as a shadow, and there is none abiding. O Lord our God, all this store that we have prepared to build thee and house for thine holy name cometh of thine own hand and is all thine own. I know also, my God, that thou triest the heart and hast pleasure in uprightness. As for me, in the uprightness of mine heart, I have willingly offered all these things. And now have I seen with joy thy people, which are present here, to offer willingly unto thee. O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Israel, our fathers, keep this forever in the imagination of the thoughts of the heart of thy people and prepare their heart unto thee. And give unto Solomon, my son, a perfect heart to keep thy commandments, thy testimonies, and thy statutes, and to do all these things, and to build the palace for the which I have made provision. And David said to all the congregation, Now bless the Lord your God. And all the congregation blessed the Lord God of their fathers, and bowed down their heads, and worshipped the Lord and the King. And they sacrificed sacrifices unto the Lord, and offered burnt offerings unto the Lord. On the morrow, after that day, even a thousand bullocks, a thousand rams, and a thousand lambs, with their drink offerings and sacrifices in abundance for all Israel. And did eat and drink before the Lord on that day with great gladness. And they made Solomon the son of David king the second time, and anointed him unto the Lord to be the chief governor, and Zadok to be priest." Then Solomon sat on the throne of the Lord as king instead of David his father, and prospered, and all Israel obeyed him. And all the princes, and the mighty men, 
and all the sons likewise of King David submitted themselves unto Solomon the king. And the Lord magnified Solomon exceedingly in the sight of all Israel and bestowed upon him such royal majesty as had not been on any king before him in Israel. Thus David, the son of Jesse, reigned over all Israel. And the time that he reigned over Israel was forty years. Seven years reigned he in Hebron, and thirty and three years reigned he in Jerusalem. And he died in a good old age, full of days, riches, and honor. And Solomon his son reigned in his stead. Now the acts of David the king, first and last, behold, they are written in the book of Samuel the seer, and in the book of Nathan the prophet, and in the book of Gad the seer, with all his reign and his might, and the times that went over him and over Israel, and over all the kingdoms of the countries. Amen and amen. amen. The work is great, because this is not for man, it's for the Lord. And I gathered with all my might because I set my affection to the house of my God. And I gave over and above all that I had raised before. Go try to find the amount of gold that David raised for the house of God before this personal donation at the end of his life out of his own bank account. It's the largest sum of money in the Bible. Do you see the man's heart in this chapter? Is your heart like his heart? Do you know what happened? When David gave and David blessed the Lord, then the princes and the rulers and the captains of thousands and the captains of hundreds, they offered willingly and it blessed David so much he prayed for the Lord not to let that ever leave the imaginations of their heart. And our brother has just prayed and I've been praying before I got here today. And we have prayed this morning in the prayer room that God would change us this day to love Him more and send us out of this place different than when we came into it. Let us pray and consider that 17th verse that God, and the 18th verse, that God would give us that heart. I will show you this day that you ought to pray for God to circumcise your heart and cut away the foreskin of your carnality and the worldliness that infects us and perverts us and corrupts us, that we would love the Lord our God. Our Father in heaven, blessed be thy great and glorious name. O Lord God, to thee belongs all the power and the riches and the honor and the majesty forever. Thine is the kingdom, O Lord our God. Our Father in heaven, all that we are able to give thee is thine already. You have created us, and we are not our own. You have redeemed us, and we are not our own. But we pray that you would this day turn us and stir us, as you did the nation of Israel in the days of David and Solomon, that we would love thee, and that we would give willingly of ourselves to thee and to our brethren, that together there might be great gladness in the Israel of God, in the house of God in Greenville, South Carolina. Our Father in heaven, bless us and take not this desire away, but stir it up and increase it and cause it to abound yet more and more, that we would want to be like David and Solomon 
and to raise up the house of the Lord, and to worship Thee, and to praise Thee, and to bless Thee, and to offer countless sacrifices to Thee, to be sacrificial, to go above and beyond what is expected, to give Thee our best, for Thou art worthy. Thou art worthy of all honor, and of all glory, and of all power. For Thou hast created us, and for Thy pleasure we are and were created. O Lord God, hear us now as we call upon Thee. In Jesus' glorious name, Amen. Amen. Jude 1 and verse 21. Keep yourselves in the love of God. This is why we come to this subject. Along with any confusion you might have about the law of God, do you want to simplify it? The love of God and the love of neighbor is what God requires of you. Under the Old Testament, that love of God included the fourth commandment, keeping the Sabbath. Under the New Testament, the love of God doesn't include any such thing because the Sabbath was put away in its entirety and we were given the first day of the week. Commandments 5 through 10, that means six of them are in the second table of the law, and they apply to how you love your brother. And they are all just as true today as they were ever true. All other nine commandments are repeated in the New Testament for your simple understanding that they still apply. Keep yourselves in the love of God. That means that the love of God is still a commandment binding on us. That also tells us that there is a risk of us losing it. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Is everyone here willing to honestly admit before God who is reading every thought and motive and intent of your hearts that you have a difficult time keeping yourselves in the love of God? That the love of things and the love of others and the love of jobs and the love of your body and the love of exercise and the love of accomplishment and the love of pleasure and the love of entertainment and all those things steal our affections? Are you honest enough to admit that before the Lord this morning? Keep yourselves in the love of God. It is something we must do, otherwise we are no better than those wicked men that Jude describes throughout that harsh epistle. We are no better unless we keep ourselves in the love of God. We have a few minutes for me to take the word of God and try to stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance to love God a little more than you did yesterday. And I hope that you're trembling and humbled before the Word of God and eager to be reminded by a few printed words on these precious pages that tell us how important it is to love the Lord our God. I agree with my brother Gerald. It it shames me that it has to be made a commandment. It shames me that the Lord has to tie threats to it. It shames me that He has to tie blessings to it. Because we should love Him without threats and without blessings and without a commandment. We should love the Lord God of heaven, whether He did anything for us or not, because He is the most magnificent, glorious, infinitely wonderful being that there is in the universe. Why in the world have you ever loved anyone else? If you love your spouse, if you love a parent, if you love a child, why? There's nothing lovable about them. Why? What a waste of love. If you need to send me an email, I'll explain it to you later. I'm making a comparison. Amen. 
Do you know how the Lord would make it? If you don't hate your wife in comparison to me, you stink. You cannot be my disciple. So he makes that comparison. If you don't hate your children in comparison to me, you cannot be my disciple. What a privilege to love the Lord our God. When you got up this morning and you stepped outside, were you in such a hurry that you couldn't relax and enjoy the great day the Lord's given us? Last night, if you read those chapters about David, weren't you excited to be just a little bit like David and to get into the house of God and worship Him? Keep yourselves in the love of God. That means we have a daily struggle to keep ourselves loving God the way we should. So therefore, we have come together for these few minutes to remind each other to do that. Do you know why we come together in an assembly? We come together to sing. We come together to hear preaching. Preaching is part of assemblies. But do you know what the Bible says we come together in assemblies for? To consider one another and to provoke unto... I need to hear that word again. To provoke unto love. We have come together today that we can help stir each other up to love God more and to love our brothers more. That is why we are here. That is what the church of God is for. We need each other to help stir us up and remind us. It's the teamwork involved of a church by that which every joint, linemen, quarterbacks, running backs, defensive linemen, linebackers, safeties, corners, all of it comes together in a team because it is that which every joint and every part supplies that stirs us up and makes us better in Last word of Ephesians 4.16, in, guess, love, in love. I know you're afraid because I'll probably call you down if you guess wrong. In love, Ephesians 4.16, praise the Lord. What a simple religion. I love it when the Lord reduces it to its basics. Two commandments, love me, love your neighbor. And then he defines those for us. He tells us how. He tells us what strength he'll give us to do them. He tells us how we can increase them and so forth. What a simple religion. These two fundamental commandments are established in the old and repeated in the new. And often they come straight into the New Testament. We're going to avoid discussing the law right now to confuse your minds because the technicalities of it are far less important than the practicality of loving the Lord our God and loving our neighbors. Both are opposed. Our flesh is opposed to the love of God. The world is opposed to the love of God. The devil is opposed to the love of God. So we have a a co-conspiracy of three enemies seeking to take us away from the love of God, which is why we need to keep ourselves in the love of God. That is a commandment. That is a duty. That requires effort to keep you loving God. The world doesn't want you to love God. They never talk about God. And when they do talk about God, they never talk about loving God. They never encourage us to love God. Our flesh doesn't love God. Our flesh is at enmity with God. It is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. Romans chapter 8, verses 7 and 8. So we've got to keep ourselves in it by coming here and asking the Lord for strength and humbling ourselves before His precious Word. God is love. And the way that you can know that you are in God and God is in you is to love, and that means the way He defines it. The way you define it, or the way little girls define it, has nothing to do with love. 
Little girls define it as fuzzy-wuzzy, accept me as I am. God doesn't accept you as you are, and He never will. He will only accept you through Christ Jesus the Lord who died a legal sacrifice for you and a new man that was given to you by the power of regeneration and you conforming your life to look like Jesus Christ. Are you kidding? There is no such thing as unconditional love of God for anyone. Unconditional love is a heresy of people who think too highly of themselves. Are you kidding me? God doesn't love you unconditionally. He never has. He had to choose you in Christ Jesus where you would be holy and without blame to stand before Him in love. Ephesians 1.4 We need to remember that. We need to love the Lord our God and we need to define it the way He defines it. What is love? It is the sacrificial desire to please another for their benefit, their profit, and their pleasure. When we love God, we are willing to sacrifice for God's benefit His profit and His pleasure. David built that house, not for His name. Could you tell that in 1 Chronicles 29, that David did not build the house for His glory, but for all all the glory was to be given to God? That is love. David loved God by putting his wallet where it counted. He loved God by putting his effort where it counted. He loved God by lifting Him up far above Himself. He loved God so much that he lifted him up and said everything. Love is a choice. This choice, this sermon, is to help us and encourage us and provoke us and remind us of the choice we must make. When the Bible says, set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth, that is a choice that we each have to make. Did you notice in 1 Chronicles 29 that David said, I set my affection toward the house of God? That's a choice he made. It's a choice every man makes with his life. Whether he makes a choice to love himself, love other things, or love the Lord his God. Love is always a choice. The world wants us to believe that love is a force. That love is a circumstance. And we wait for it to take us. Or it happens by chemistry. Or it happens by coincidence. Or it just happens. But love is a choice. And this day we come into his house And we look at God's Word and we humble ourselves before it to make that choice toward God. Amen. Keep yourselves in the love of God. How do you do that? By making a choice to set God up and make Him most important in your life. We must do this. Hebrews 10.24 is a verse I've quoted, but let's look at it before we move on. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 24. This verse is in next to the verse that tells us about why we assemble together and explains why we assemble together. It's part of a long sentence. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. This is why we come into the house of God. Because for six days, for 24 hours in those days, we are pulled in 20 different directions. We are pulled to love the things of this world. We are pulled to love ourselves because that's what the flesh wants us to do. The world encourages us to do it. And the world offers us a hundred substitutes for our happiness rather than God. And the devil does everything he can to bring those temptations before our eyes. All that is in the world, the love of, I mean, the love of the world is the the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life cometh from the world, and it is not compatible with the love of God. We are constantly fighting this, and so we come together to consider one another to provoke unto love. 
to provoke someone is to stir them up to do something. And we want to stir each other up to love the Lord more and to love one another more. Because these are the two great commandments. The whole Bible, 31,101 verses, 1,189 chapters, 66 books, all teaches two basic things. The love of God and the love of others. And everything else you can find that you think that I'm neglecting or the Lord neglected can be summed up in those two commandments. This is why we assemble. Verse 25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. Notice that. The reason we assemble is to exhort. The reason we assemble is not because the pastor wants a full congregation. The reason we assemble is not just to hear the word preached. The reason we assemble is to exhort one another because we need it to keep ourselves in the love of God. It's the first and the great commandment. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 6. It's the first and greatest of God's commandments. It's often repeated in both Testaments. The Bible tells us it's greater than any ceremonial or ritualistic religion. We'll look at a couple of those verses, but we do not have time to belabor any of these points. Deuteronomy 6, 4. Hear, O Israel. Hear, O Israel, the Lord, our God, is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And then you're to command these same things to your children. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Jehovah is one. And Jehovah is our Jehovah. And Jehovah is our God. And the first commandment and the great commandment is that we love Him. And we love Him with all of our soul and all of our heart and all of our strength and in other places, all of our mind. What knowledge is pleasant to you? What knowledge is precious to you? None of it should compare to the knowledge of God. Are you looking for something for your soul to satisfy you in your most intimate and personal inner being? The Lord is the only one that can satisfy a soul. He is the only soulmate that will satisfy the human soul. What stirs you up? Your spirit. You're to love Him with all of your spirit because you should get more excited about God than anything else. Your heart, where are your passions and your affections? They should be wrapped up in the Lord. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart. Nothing can compete in your passion, your affections, according to the text, with all your soul. Nothing should be more personal. Nothing should be more intimate. Nothing should be a greater thought and a desire and fantasy in your heart than to be closer to the Lord with all your strength. You should never be too tired for the Lord. You weren't too tired when you were in love with someone. You could stay up countless hours. You could think about them countless hours. You would meet them any time, day or night. With all your strength. We should always be able to give the Lord what He asks of us and then some more. Because we were always able to give some more to those that we loved in this world. And how could you even love them? There's nothing lovable about them in comparison to God. This is his commandment. Look at chapter 10. Deuteronomy. These are Moses' last words. The whole book of Deuteronomy, Moses taught it in just the last few hours and days of his life. Before the Lord took him up and buried him. Deuteronomy chapter 10 and verse 12. And now Israel. This is Moses again. Same book. End of his life. 
after the 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. This is the younger generation. And now, Israel, what doth the Lord thy God require of thee? But to fear the Lord thy God, to walk in all his ways, and to love him. And to serve the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul. There it is again in 10 and verse 12. Look at 11, chapter 11 and verse 1. Deuteronomy 11.1 Therefore thou shalt love the Lord thy God, and keep his charge, and his statutes, and his judgments, and his commandments alway. There's more that we could read, but let's come over to, and see Jesus pick this up in Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22. The Jews came and tried to entrap Jesus with questions. And he answered perfectly, as always. And answered so perfectly in Matthew 22 that the chapter ends with the fact that no man was able to answer him a word, neither durst any man from that day forth ask him any more questions. Matthew chapter 22, verse 34. When the Pharisees had heard that he had put the Sadducees to silence, the Pharisees and the Sadducees hated each other. And when the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they were gathered together. They thought, well, now it's our turn. He must, he must be a Pharisee. He must, he must have a little bit of uh, favor toward us since he just put the Sadducees to silence. Then one of them, which was a lawyer, asked him a question, tempting him and saying, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Wanting to get him into some theological, technical debate about whether it was the Sabbath, whether it was paying tithes of their herb gardens, or anything else that they could get him entrapped in. And what did he do? He quoted from Deuteronomy 6. Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. There's no answer from the lawyer. He was silenced because anything he could have raised in the way of a technicality would have been summarized in those two commandments. Look at Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11. Are you familiar with the verse in Matthew 23? While you're turning, are you familiar with the verse in Matthew 23, 23 that says that we ought not to omit the weightier matters of the law? Like judgment, mercy, and faith? Because they were paying tithes of mint and anise and cumin and had omitted the weightier matters of the law? Here's Luke's version of that text. Luke 11.42 Woe unto you, Pharisees! For ye tithe mint and rue and all manner of herbs and pass over judgment and the love of God. These ought ye to have done, and not to leave the other undone. This is the Lord Jesus Christ teaching the importance of loving God. Moses taught it in Deuteronomy. Jesus picks it up, and the apostles will carry it forward. Remember Jude's words, keep yourselves in the love of God. Love is far superior to faith. The devils believe and tremble. But love is a great, is a much greater measure of grace. Love shows much more evidence of God's grace and work in your heart than does faith because of the devil's example. And that's why James chapter 2 is written to us. When the Bible tells us, now abideth faith, hope, charity, it says the greatest of these is charity. It's a result of God's sovereign power in our lives. 
if it wasn't for His eternal election of our souls and Jesus Christ dying on the cross for us to make us fit objects for His love and the Holy Spirit regenerating us and giving us a new heart, we would not love God. We love Him, the Bible tells us, because He first loved us. There is no fear of God before the natural man's eyes. Romans 3.18 There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. Those statements by themselves are enough to tell us there is none that love God. Because if you're not seeking after someone, you certainly don't love them. There is no love of God before their eyes or in their hearts. They're at enemies, and God calls us enemies in our flesh. We choose willingly to follow the devil rather than God. It comes by the power of the Holy Spirit by regenerating us and giving us a heart that is able and willing to love God. Look at John chapter 8. John chapter 8. If you love God the way the Bible defines it, the way you define the way you love God doesn't mean a thing. It's no better than worshiping an idol. It's God's definition of love. And that's always the definition of terms. When we use a term like the love of God, we must bring it back to the Bible. When we use a term like holiness, we must bring it back to the Bible. Because holiness as we define it is not acceptable holiness. It must be God's definition of holiness. John chapter 8 and verse 42, Jesus said unto them, If God were your father, ye would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God, neither came I of myself, but he sent me. And then in verse 44 he said, Ye are of your father, the devil. And the difference is how we treat Christ. And the love of God is evidence that God is our father. If you love God, it's because God is your father. But again, I want to repeat myself. For you to know that you love God, you must love God the way he defines it. For instance, two basic Definitions are, you keep His commandments. Number two, you love the brethren. You cannot love God without loving the brethren. And again, it's the way God says to love the brethren. Your ideas of loving the brethren are worthless. Totally worthless. They're off the scale. They're not 2% love. They're off the scale. They don't measure. It must be the way God defines it. Or it doesn't match up to his definitions and his terms. And he is our theologian. And he defines terms for us. Brethren, it is, a, it is a subject at risk. Look at Joshua chapter 23. Joshua 23. Jude would not have written and said, keep yourselves in the love of God unless there was a risk that we could stop loving him. In the book of Hebrews, Paul said that we are to exhort one another daily. While it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin and depart from the living God. Sin is deceitful. Sin doesn't come up and say, I want to help you serve the devil. Sin comes up and says, this is okay. God's not that strict. And it will take you away from the living God. Hebrews 3, 12 and 13. Sin's a liar, and it will corrupt you from the inside out and deceive you. And so we need to exhort one another. That's what it says, exhort one another. That means each individual in the church has a duty to exhort the other individuals in the church. One another, lest any of you be hardened. 
Look at Joshua's words before he died. At the end of the book of Joshua, in Joshua chapter 23 and verse 11. Joshua 23, 11, Take good heed, therefore, unto yourselves, that ye love the Lord your God. Joshua led these people over the Jordan River into Canaan and destroyed 70 cities and 7 nations. Their fathers had been afraid to take on such a formidable foe. Formidable foe. And so Joshua is about to die and he realizes, I cannot have these people get fearful now that they're in the land of Canaan. And so he tells them in verse 10, one man of you shall chase a thousand. That's considered military superiority. One man of you shall chase a thousand. For the Lord your God, he it is that fighteth for you as he hath promised you. Take good heed, therefore, therefore, unto yourselves that ye love the Lord your God. Because that kind of military superiority was not dependent on their boot camps, and it was not dependent on their weapons systems. It was dependent upon God blessing them. And if they didn't love the Lord their God, they were going to lose that blessing. And Deuteronomy 32 tells us plainly enough that five of them would chase a thousand Israelites. The blessings are in the love of God. But it's at risk. That's why Joshua would say, take good heed, therefore, unto yourselves. The reason we are in God's house today and what God has laid upon each of us this day as a duty and a burden is to ask ourselves, am I taking good heed to myself? Do I love the Lord my God as much as I have ever loved Him? If you don't love Him as much as you've ever loved Him, then remember how you used to love Him. Repent for not being there now and do the first works is the Lord's, recomm- is the Lord's remedy for us. Does the Bible tell us in the perilous times, the last days, men shall be lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God? Amen. It does tell us that. What kind of men is it talking about in 2 Timothy 3, 4? It's talking about Christianity. Right. They shall be lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. The average church today takes more pleasure in their basketball team than they do in hearing the Word of God preached. They don't want to hear the Word of God preached. They want to hear praise bands. They want to hear testimonies. They want to see nightclub acts. They want to have fables. They want to have activities. They want to have programs. They want to have outings. They want to have Holy Land tours. But they don't want to hear the Word of God preached to learn more about the God of Heaven. We live in those times. Did the Apostle Paul see a man that did not take good heed to himself? Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. Demas was more in love with the present world than he was with the kingdom of heaven. Look at Matthew chapter 24. When I say Matthew chapter 24, how many seconds does it take for you to recognize what that chapter is about? Matthew 24. Matthew 24 is about the destruction of Jerusalem and the ruin of the Jewish nation and the warning that Jesus Christ gave that it was going to happen within their generation and what they could do to avoid it. And that it would be shortened to save the very elect. But look at what it says in there as it describes the character of the times. Verse 11, many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. Does the Bible tell us that in the last times, many false prophets are going to arise and deceive many? 2 Timothy 3.13 Right. 
But evil seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Verse 12, and because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. When iniquity abounds, when carnal Christianity, when carnal living, when the world is making encroaches into the house of God, the love of many shall wax cold. The love of a, It doesn't say the love of a few. It says the love of many. And it doesn't even say shall wax lukewarm. It says shall wax cold. This was going to be the times before the destruction of Jerusalem. And it is a time like we live in because iniquity is abounding. Especially in those who claim to be the people of God. Which we have to fight against. We have to arm ourselves and keep ourselves in the love of God. Because of warnings like this in the pages of Scripture. No wonder it's a commandment. No wonder it's a duty. No wonder we need to exhort each other and help each other to love God. Because there's so much pulling us down from it. And away from it. Honest saints can grasp this directly and personally. Honest saints know that the more you allow the world into your life, your love of God goes down. Because you've ridden that roller coaster before. You know that. And you should hate that. And you should ask the Lord to destroy that roller coaster and put you upon a firm foundation. And to incline your heart. And to unite your heart so it's not double-minded and it's constantly pulling us away. This is what we're here for. This is, this is the commandment at risk. Because we are at risk. What is it to love God? It, it means to delight in glory in God. It means to be thrilled with Him. To want to please Him. To be willing to sacrifice anything to make God happy. To be willing to sacrifice anything to profit God. If God could benefit from something I could give or something I could do, I want to give it and do it. That's David showing us the love of God in 1 Chronicles 29. It's the Lord Jesus Christ doing everything that God wanted him to do, including the death of the cross, even though that was entirely contrary to his personal preferences. His personal preference was if he could avoid the cross, but nevertheless not my will but thine be done. The Apostle Paul burned himself out for his love of God and his love of Christ. He simply reasoned that Christ has done so much for me, I owe him the rest of my life. To love God is to fear God. To love God is to keep His commandments. To love God is to praise Him. To tell Him that you love Him. To tell Him how great He is. You know how you want to be loved. You know how to love someone else. You say wonderful things to them. You praise them for every good thing they do. You remember their great works. We remember God's great works. We delight in Him. He fills us with joy, whether it's in the privacy of our beds in the night or when we're in an assembly like this. We love, we, we love God by delighting in Him and by glorying in Him. Amen. The Bible says, delight thyself also in the Lord. The other part's coming in a moment. But to delight ourselves in the Lord. Jeremiah 9 says, to glory in the Lord. Amen. The Bible says, to let Him the glory, glory in the Lord. Amen. It's really the only thing to get excited about. Everything else is going to disappoint you. Every human that you ever put any confidence in is going to disappoint you. God will never disappoint you. Every team that you ever root for is going to disappoint you. God will never disappoint you. Every vehicle you buy, no matter how many good reports they get from J.D. Powers and Consumer Reports, is going to disappoint you. But God will never disappoint you. Every house you buy, as soon as you sign your life away, you'll see all of its imperfections. But God has no imperfections. 
Every time you look in the mirror and every, as every day goes by, you see more and more imperfections. But there is none with God. We delight in Him and we glory in the only perfect being in the universe. We lift Him up in our thoughts. We lift Him up in our affections. We lift Him up in our giving, our talking. Everything we can do. That is what it means to love God. Moses met with God. How close did they get? The Bible, what does it say? Face to face. Even though God doesn't have a face. You say, well, then what does the Bible mean? Skeptic, I'm not going to answer you because you're not worth it. Figure it out yourself. When Moses met face to face with God in the tabernacle, it tells us in Exodus chapter 34, he left. But he had an understudy that was younger than he named Moses. And the Bible tells us in Exodus 34, no way. I'm not leaving this tabernacle. He stayed right in there because that's where God was. That's to love God. You want to be wherever God is. You want to be wherever God is worshipped. You want to be where God's word is read. You want to be where God's people are. You want to be around them more than anything else. Nothing can ever compete with that. Because we're to love him with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Enoch walked with God because he loved him. He pleased him in everything he did. How do I know that? Hebrews 11 explains what it means to walk with God the way Enoch did. For before his translation, he had this testimony. That he pleased God. Hebrews 11.5 But without faith, it is impossible to please him. We start with faith and then we love the blessed God of heaven. It is making God your portion. What are you alive for? What are you alive for? Your kitties? Go ahead and commit suicide this afternoon. They'll probably do better without you. We'll take care of them. What is your portion? Your job? Pleasure? You want to grow up and bench 300 pounds? Oh, precious. What is your portion? A better job? Retire with lots of money? Golf? What is your portion? Look at Psalm 16 and verse 5. One verse of many. The word portion means when a distribution is made of good things, what do you want your portion of that distribution to be? What is your portion in life? What do you want your distribution to be? Do you want your distribution to be riches, popularity, intellect, strength, athletic prowess, family? Here it is. There's so there's many of these in the scriptures. Psalm 16:5 The Lord is the portion of mine inheritance and of my cup. We don't need to read any further. The Lord is my portion. That's what it means to love God. All I want out of life is the Lord. All I want out of life is the Lord to be pleased with me. All I want out of life is to please the Lord. All I want out of life is to tell others about how great God is. All I want out of life is to be able to talk about how great God is. All I want out of life is to love God. Have you ever thought of it this way? And I'll I'll repeat myself from a few months ago. Lord, thank you for making me so that I could know you. Thank you, God, for creating me. Because if you hadn't created me, 
I wouldn't know about you. You have always been there and always will be there. But thank you for creating me so that I can know you. And right now, my knowledge of you tells me that I love you. Look at Psalm 73. What is it to love God? It's to make Him your portion. In the distribution of all things, I don't want fame. I don't want riches. I don't want love. Elton John's version. Mariah Carey's version. I don't want success. I don't want power. I don't want influence. I want God. Psalm 73, verse 25. Asaph wrote, David's song leader, Whom have I in heaven but thee? Do you know I've heard people say, I can't wait to get to heaven to see my mama. I can't wait to get to heaven to see my pastor. Whom have I in heaven but thee? If you ever talk about your mama or your pastor or anyone else in heaven, make sure you get the Lord one infinite universe above them. Just make sure you keep your priorities right. Don't, Don't have them side by side. Do you know what happened one time when Peter said, Lord, this is really good that we're here. Here's you, and here's Moses, and here's Elijah. How about if we build three tabernacles? The next moment, Peter was on the deck because a thundering voice from heaven came down and said, This is my beloved Son. Hear ye them? No. Hear ye him. Okay, I... You know I want to see your father. He's my grandfather and yours. But they're nothing in comparison to God. Whom have I in heaven but thee? And there is none upon earth that I desire beside thee. Now that covers the universe, doesn't it? My flesh and my heart faileth, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Do you know that portion can't be taken from you if you're strong right now and can bench the 300 or more? That's going to be taken from you. The Lord's going to pull it away day by day. If you're beautiful, you look in the mirror, it's going to be taken away from you. If you've got riches, they make themselves wings and fly away, the Bible says. It's all going to be taken away from you, but here's a portion that you can have forever. On the day of your death, this portion will be greater than during your life. How's that? And as soon as you pass through death, this portion will be greater than any time during your life. The Lord your God. He is your portion. That's what it means to love God. To make Him your portion. When God's handing out things, I want Him to hand out Himself to me. That's being a joint heir with Christ, an heir of of God. Yes, we want to inherit God and all that He has when we die and leave this world. Oh, brethren, there's other places that say the same thing. What is it to love God? It's to keep His commandments. This is a new thing. The Bible repeats this over and over, and you should know it well, from John 14, John 15, 1 John 3, 1 John 4, 1 John 5, and other places, and Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5, Deuteronomy 10, 11, 12. Those chapters tell us that to love God means to keep His charge, keep His commandments, keep His testimonies, and keep His precepts. Because if you love God, then you're going to want to do those things that please Him. 
Just like you want to do all those things that please a person that you love on earth. When you love someone on earth, you want to take them to the restaurant of their choice. You want to wear the clothes that they have said they like the best on you. You will cut your facial hair, if you're a man, you will cut your facial hair the way that a woman has said she likes it. If you're a woman, you'll wear your hair the way he has said he likes it. You do all those things to please. And God's given us His commandments. He's told us what pleases Him. Do you know how simple this is? Do you know how delightful it is to have the Word of God? I have in writing. I wish the rest of you sometimes had put in writing what I could do to serve you better. But the Lord put it all in writing. I know exactly, please, pardon my language, I know exactly what turns Him on and what turns Him off. I know what pleases Him and I know what offends Him. And it's my choice every day to love God by keeping His commandments. Are you making that choice every day? That's the issue that we have before us. Love is not a feeling. Though a feeling will come. Do you think David had feelings when he was dancing with all his might before the Lord? But what got all that started? Looking at the Ark of the Covenant, recognizing what it was, and thinking, I'm going to give it a better resting place than it's had for the last 40 years. He just started, what can I do for the Lord? And the more you do that, you get the feelings. You know, you wake up on Sunday morning sometimes, and the only feeling you have is, I wish I could stay in bed another two hours. Do you think I'm retarded? I know that. That's your flesh. I wish I could stay in bed for another two hours. But if you've made the right preparations the night before, and if you've talked to the Lord while you're in bed, you get out of bed, you wake up at the sink, you wake up further in the shower, you wake up further in your cup of coffee, and then you make it here. And by the time you get here and you get into the, oh, for a thousand tongues, how many phrases did it take for you to be fully awake? Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing my great Redeemer's praise. You should have been fully awake and there should have been feelings. Wonderful feelings of praising and loving God. But it's far beyond that. It's far beyond thoughts. It's far beyond words. Look at Ezekiel 33 and watch the Lord condemn words. He wants the love of... Do you know what it said? Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart. Did it say heart? Did it say mind? Does it say soul? Does it say strength? Does it say mouth? The Lord wants us to use our mouth in loving Him. But in those, in those particular verses, does it say mouth? No. Because of a verse like this that warns us about loving God with our mouth, but not loving Him with our heart. Loving God with our mouth, but not loving Him with our feet, our hands, and our wallets. And doing everything we should be doing to love God. Ezekiel 33, verse 30. Poor Ezekiel. This was his ministry. Preach to a people that aren't going to hear you or believe you. Jeremiah, preach to a people that aren't going to hear you or believe you. Ezekiel 33:30. Also, thou son of man, the children of thy people still are talking against thee by the walls and in the doors of the houses, and speak one to another, every one to his brother, saying, Come, I pray you, and hear what is the word that cometh forth from the Lord. And they come unto thee as the people cometh, and they sit before thee as my people, and they hear thy words, but they will not do them. For with their mouth they show much love, but their heart goeth after their covetousness. And we can stop reading right there. With their mouth they show much love, but their heart goeth after their covetousness. What do you want out of life? What do you want to be your portion that competes with God? 
What do you want that keeps you from His assemblies? What do you want that keeps you from His Word? What do you want that keeps you from prayer? What do you want that keeps you from singing? What covetousness in your life distracts you, defeats you, and keeps you from loving God as the chief love and the chief joy of your life? What is it? God's asking, not me. That's why you don't have to answer audibly. All you have to do is answer silently in your heart to the Lord. What is it that distracts you? Work? How much can I turn and burn? How much can I earn? What is it? Don't let anything compete with the Lord. We don't want to give Him our mouths, but not our hearts. We don't want to give Him our mouths, but not our lives. A low-care or a no-care attitude about God's Word? A low-care or a no-care attitude about God's assemblies? A low-care or a no-care attitude about prayer? Talking to God should be one of the greatest thrills we have. You should be spontaneously talking to God throughout the day, throughout the night. Wasn't, wasn't today beautiful? Did you tell him? Did you tell him? I mean, personally. I mean, did you get personal with him? Did you get face to face with him? David, David said, I'd rather be a doorkeeper around my God than to be anything anywhere else. David said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. That's a man that loves God. Is God your priority? That's what it means to love God. What are the blessings? Where do we start? Psalm 37, 4. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Why are some men deprived and others are not that call themselves Christians? Some men may be honored with substance in the world, but they're deprived in their hearts. That's a horrible judgment. To be given all the quail that you can eat, but have leanness sent into your soul. To have a lot of fat boiling in the broth in the pot, but to have no fat in your heart. Your spiritual man. What a judgment. Those that delight in God are promised their heart's desire. And as a brother constantly reminds me, our brother Jeff Oley, he constantly reminds me, when you delight yourself in the Lord, the Lord changes the desires of your heart. And that's a good point. I don't think that's the only point in Psalm 37.4. The Lord will bless the man who loves the Lord. Too many other verses say that. Do you know what? Look at John chapter 14. We are talking for a moment about the blessings of loving God. Are there, are there rewards for loving God? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Genesis, uh, John chapter 14, verse 21. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. So that's who we're talking about, a man that loves God. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my father. And I will love him and will manifest myself to him. That is a blessing. That's a blessing and a half. That's three blessings. God will love him. I will love him. And I will manifest myself to him. By the presence of the Holy Spirit, I will take up a personal relationship with that man. What gets it all started? He that keepeth my commandments is the man that loveth me. And a man that loves me, I'm going to respond in kind. The Lord already loves us eternally, legally, vitally, and finally. But there is a practical manifestation of His love that is conditioned upon your love of Him. And the more you love Him, the more He'll love you in return in a practical sense. That is a fantastic blessing. That supersedes everything else I'm going to show you. God will love you, I will love you, and I will manifest myself to you. Exodus chapter 20 and verse 6 puts it this way. 
one of about 20 that are similar. Exodus chapter 20 and verse 6, it says it this way. God shows mercy unto thousands of them that love Him and keep His commandments. God shows mercy to such men. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 5. Deuteronomy chapter 5, it's the corresponding account of the Ten Commandments. Deuteronomy 5 and verse 10. God shows mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. Chapter 7 and verse 9. Know therefore that the Lord thy God, He is God, the faithful God, which keepeth covenant and mercy with them that love Him and keep His commandments to a thousand generations. I don't care how far you are removed from Deuteronomy 5. He'll keep His covenant and His mercy for you. And sometimes He'll keep His covenant and mercy with your descendants to a thousand generations. Ask Phinehas and ask David if that ever has come to pass. Praise the Lord. There's so many verses like that in the Bible. Do you know what the Bible says? The Bible says, I hath not seen. The eye has never seen. No microscope or telescope. The eye hath not seen, nor the ear heard. Neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love Him. What do you do after a verse like that? You go to the next point. There's nothing else that can be said, though there are many things... It tells me to say. Look at, look at Psalm 31. Psalm 31. There's a bunch of trouble if you don't love God. And I'm just going to mention a couple. There's a bunch of trouble if you don't love Him. A bunch of troubles coming in your life. You say, well, I do love God. Do you love Him with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, all your life? Anything less than that's not good enough. There's trouble coming. Remember, if you don't repent and get back your first love, I will take the candlestick away from you. If you stay lukewarm with me, I will spew you out of my mouth. He wants it all because he's jealous with a capital J. That is his name, and it is one of his character traits. And he is righteous to be jealous. How, what kind of a com- competitor can there possibly be on planet Earth against him? Psalm 31, verse 23. Oh, love the Lord. This is the sermon in a nutshell. Oh, love the Lord, all ye his saints. For the Lord preserveth the faithful and plentifully rewardeth the proud doer. Do you know what the verse says? Love the Lord, you saints. If you love him, he'll bless you. If you don't love him, He's going to plentifully reward you. There is trouble coming if you don't love Him. That's the proud doer who will not humble himself and love the Lord thy, his God, but thinks himself to be something pretty special. Look at Ephesians 6.24. Ephesians 6.24. This is interesting. If you like to compare verses in the Scriptures, you know the Bible tells us to do that? Comparing spiritual things with spiritual. 1 Corinthians 2.13. Watch this comparison. Ephesians 6.24. Grace. 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 Be with all them that love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. That's an apostolic blessing. Inspired by God. Grace. Be with all them that love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. 
Come back to 1 Corinthians 16. 1 Corinthians 16.22. 1 Corinthians 16.22. If any man love not the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be anathema maranatha. Judged and cursed at the coming of Christ. If any man love, not the Lord Jesus Christ. That love is not a thought. That love is not a word. That love is not an opinion. That love is not a self-excuse on your part. That love is defined and determined by God's word alone. Do you love him the way that we've briefly considered it this day? If any man love not the Lord Jesus Christ, anathema maranatha. Grace be unto all them that love the Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Would you call that a great gulf between those two kinds of men? There's no halfway point. It's a gulf. It's a chasm. You're at the bottom. Either you love the Lord Jesus Christ the way the Bible defines it, which means first love, which means hot love, which means all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and you're over here on this side, or you don't love the Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity, and judgment is coming. In James 4.4, ye adulterers and adulteresses. Why does James call his audience adulterers and adulteresses? Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that friendship with the world is enmity with God. Therefore, whosoever shall be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. That's the love of God. That's what we have to fight against. That's what we need to care about. That is a punishment. If we don't love God the way we should, we are God's enemy. If we get too excited about the world, if, we, if anything in the world competes for our time, our money, our attention, our affection, our thoughts, our fantasies, our desires, our ambition, our efforts, our emotions, if anything out there competes at the level with God, we are His enemy. If their lifestyle... If their things, if the, if the friendship with the world, if those things compete with friendship with God's saints, if time out there competes with time in God's house, if time doing other things competes with time in God's Word, and it competes and wins or it competes and gets close, we are the enemies of God. Because we've become friends of the world and we're flirting with Him and we're committing spiritual adultery, that is why it says, ye adulterers and adulteresses. How can we improve it? Keep yourselves in the love of God. We don't want to just keep ourselves in the love of God. We want to get better. The first rule we can remember is love not the world. 1 John 2.15 Love not the world. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. You cannot love God and the world. You cannot serve two masters, for either you will hate the one and love the other, because they are diametrically opposed opposites. We cannot have our cake and eat it too. We mortify the flesh that thinks that. We choose Christ and we crucify the world. And the world will crucify you if you ever take a stand for God and make Him your portion. Because they have no interest in someone that loves the Lord their God with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength. What is in the world? The lust of the flesh. What your body, bodily desires want. The lust of the eyes. What you see and wish you could have. The stuff that gets you excited and the pride of life. I want to be somebody. I want to accomplish something. Everything in the world can be wrapped up under those three headings. And they're not of the Father. And we're told, love not the world. 
Don't love anything that can be stuck into one of those three categories. It's things, it's lifestyle, it's future, it's jobs, houses, anything that your belly wants, food, fun, vacations, all those things cannot compete with God. The greatest vacation you can ever have is to get apart for a little while with God's Word. And if you don't know that, you don't know God. And if you don't do that, you're failing this sermon. If I don't do that, we're failing this ser- I'm failing this sermon. The greatest vacation you can have is to go for a walk and talk with God. It's to sit in the deck and see His Son come up in the morning and talk to Him. It's lying in your bed at night and communing with your own heart upon your bed and being quiet. Selah. That's loving God. That's growing in it. That's a vacation. That's a blessing. We must step up our effort. Keep yourselves in love of God. Consider one another to provoke each other to love and to good works. How do we increase it? We get into the house of God and we prepare. I want him to be remind, I want to be reminded this day from the word of God that I should love him more. Lord, Lord, remind me from your word. Lord, give me the strength from your spirit to do what I'm reminded from your word. We ask for it. We pray for it. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 30. I'm almost through. Deuteronomy chapter 30 and verse 6 about praying for it. How can we, how can we increase it? We, we want to be like David. Do you remember the sermon on a Wednesday night? He deserves better than that. That was David and exceeding magnifical from 1 Chronicles 22. David knew that. Did you understand going above and beyond what others do? Don't ever compare yourself with others. Compare yourself to David and outdo him. You don't have that many thousand talents of gold from Ophir. It doesn't matter. David admitted that. David said the gold's all yours anyway. I was just a little shepherd boy and so were all of us Israelites. You made us great and you gave us wealth. So we're just giving back to you what you gave to us. David knew all that. But David gave him his heart. David loved to compose lyrics for psalms and then write the music for the psalms and then invent the new musical instrument to play the music for the new lyrics. How's that for a singing camp, Francis? That's David. I don't know if I could write a song. Yeah? When was the last time you tried it? I know a couple of you, when you understood what common meter means in that 400-year-old Scottish Psalter, some of you went home and took some psalms and put them to common meter, and that is a wonderful exercise. We're in Deuteronomy 30. Why is David in the Bible so much? Why is David in the Bible? We know more about David and his inner thoughts than all other men combined. Because he loved God. Did you hear him say, Lord, for the integrity of my heart and for the righteousness of my heart? In 1 Chronicles 29, he wasn't ashamed before the Lord. He knew he had put forth his zeal to serve the house of God. And he asked the Lord to look upon it. So did Nehemiah. So did others. That's not pride. That is humbly coming before the Lord and say, look how hard I've tried to serve you. Will you please bless my further efforts to serve you? Not to make me great. Bless these efforts to serve you and keep this in the hearts of thy people all their lives. Deuteronomy 30 and verse 6, the Lord thy God will circumcise thine heart. Deuteronomy 30 and verse 6, the Lord thy God will circumcise thine heart and the heart of thy seed. Lord God, let it be true in our families. 
The Lord thy God will circumcise thine heart and the heart of thy seed to love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul that thou mayest live. Do you know what that verse is written there for? When your fathers have sinned and I've hauled you captive and you're in some foreign city, if you will turn to me with the first effort of repentance, this is how simple it gets to increase in the love of God. If you will turn to me with the first step of repentance, I will do the rest. I will circumcise your heart. I will cut off that ugly foreskin and let it fall away of you and your seed, your children, so that you will drop away all the sins of your fathers and you can have a renewed, pure, perfect love of me. I'll do that if you'll first turn to me. It's in the context. That is exciting. Sometimes when you go to the Lord and you say, Lord, I want to love you more, do you feel dull, dead? I'm sorry. I'll preach to myself for just a moment. Self, when you go to the Lord and you tell Him you want to love Him more and you feel so dull, dead, and your prayers aren't making it above the ceiling, don't be thinking about your feelings and your thoughts. Tell the Lord that you love Him and repent of every known sin in your life because He's promised you self that He will circumcise your heart to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. That is a reassuring promise. That is wonderful. Thank you, Lord, for telling us that it's that easy. In, in Psalm 73, when we were there, do you remember Asaph said, Whom have I in heaven? No one. Whom have I on earth? No one. What got him to that point? This is how we increase in the love of God. Because in the first three verses, Asaph said, I was envious at the wicked when I saw all their prosperity. I wanted to be like them. That's, that's how Psalm 73 starts out. Then at the end, he's saying, oh, Lord, I've got it straight now. There's no one in heaven I want beside you, and there's no one on earth I want beside you. What happened in the middle? He went into the, the sanctuary. He went into the house of the Lord, and he heard a sermon like this, except much presented much better than this, from the Word of God about loving God. And about the real realities of the difference between the, wit- the wicked and the righteous and the eternal inheritance of both. And he said, I was a dumb, I was like a dumb beast before. I shouldn't have ever opened my mouth and said such foolish things. Now I know the reality. There's nowhere. There's no one in heaven and there's no one on earth. And all that came about because I got excited about going to church. That, that's how it happened. He was all messed up Monday through Saturday. And so he went to church on Sunday and got all straightened out for another week. You know what? We can barely make it a week. We can barely make it through the Lord's Day. We, we walk out of here and the world assaults us with stuff. And our flesh assaults us with stuff. And my mind is running in 18 directions. But keep yourselves in love of God. And we need to exhort each other to keep ourselves in love of God. He got himself straightened out right here. Take more time to pray. If you love God, you're going to love His Word. If you love His Word... You're going to see more about Him, and the Spirit of God is going to be fed by that Word, and you're going to grow in love for God. Sing to Him. Just sing to Him. It'll grow on you. If you're driving along in your car by yourself, sing over a thousand tongues to sing, and then tell Him what that phrase means. It means, Lord, I wish I had a thousand tongues, because then it would sound like a choir in here. That's what it means. Over a thousand tongues to sing my great Redeemer's praise. Stir yourself up to love God. The Bible says that. 
He encouraged himself in the Lord his God. 1 Samuel 30 and verse 8. You can do this. You must do it. We must keep ourselves in the love of God. First of all, we have to keep ourselves individually in the love of God. Then we need to help each other. Continue to love God. If we love God, we're going to love His worship. If we love God, we're going to love His house. If we love God, we're going to love His word. If we love God, we're going to love His children. If we love God, we're going to love prayer. And if you love and do those things, your love of God will increase. How can you love God if you don't talk to Him in prayer? How can you love God if you don't love the other children that He has loved and saved and made your brothers and sisters? You can think about loving God more. You can talk about it. Pray for it. Pray because of it. Praise because of it. Read about it. Sing about it. Hear about it. Associate with people who love God. If you get around those who love God, it will help you love God. If you get around those who love the world, you're going to love the world five minutes later. Evil communications corrupt good manners. Many couples had a... Many couples, many couples have had a favorite song, but if they turn that song on, it takes about two or three bars of that song, and it strikes chords inside. A favorite song. What's your favorite song about God? Does it take two or three chords, or two or three bars, for it to strike a chord in you to revive your feelings about God? Many couples have had a, you know, many individuals have had a particular letter that they may have received or a particular picture that they received from someone they love. This could be a man or a woman. They've read that letter a hundred times, but when they read it the hundred and first time, it still evokes a great deal of pleasure in them. Look at what this person is saying to me and about me. May I present to you Look at what God is saying about himself and about us and what he has done, is doing, and will do for us. Is it better than that little love letter you have stuck away? May I? You want to look at a picture? Then look in the Word of God and see everything that we can or should want to know about the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus told Thomas that more blessed are they that have read and believed it than those who have seen it like you, Thomas. Great sinners make great lovers. If you're not a great lover of God, then get down and find out what a great sinner you are. Because Jesus said in Luke chapter 7, they make great lovers. Father in heaven. Abba, Father. Forgive us for not always loving thee with all of our hearts, minds, souls, and strength. Teach us to love Thee more. O Lord, forgive us our sins of loving the things of the world. Forgive us for not putting to death and mortifying our flesh. Forgive us for giving place to the devil in our lives by covetousness and by other sins. Forgive us for grieving and quenching Your Holy Spirit. We turn unto Thee, O Lord. We remember. We remember days gone by when with greater gladness and greater zeal we went with the company of people to the house of God, rejoicing and praising Thee. Stir that up again in us, O Lord, as we do the first works. Give us the power in the inner man and the feelings to do even more. Our Father in heaven, blessed Father, 
circumcise our hearts again as we repent and turn to Thee, that we would love Thee and that our children would love Thee and that our children's children would love Thee with all of their hearts, minds, souls, and strength. Hear us as we call upon Thee. We love Thy Word. We're sorry that it has to be a commandment. We're sorry there has to be threats. We're even sorry that there have to be promises and blessings. For we should love Thee for no other cause than Thou art our God. And we do love Thee. Dear Lord, help us to love Thee more. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.